namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa bhutang dhammang sankham namasami it's good to see lots of folk come for the dhamma he's actually writing a letter to Uh, an architect who's helping us design a meditation hall. I was writing, writing to him this morning, and I asked him, is it outrageous to get a timeline of starting to build in 2018? So I haven't got an answer from him yet. So it's the last piece in, in a monastery. It's the most important piece. It's a good meditation hall. My, died, my dad died at 74. I'm 70. So I reckon I better get this done. We left to do it. <laughs> anyway, um, if you drive along to Ottawa and you have a flat tire, now I've never fixed a flat tire in my life. In fact, I don't even know how to don't know how to drive a car. Some kind of throwback to to the horse and buggy era. <laughs> But if you If, you, if you're driving along to Ottawa and you have a flat tire, you get out, when does that become suffering? It's a hassle. Certainly it's a hassle. When, when does it become suffering? Well, it's suffering if you keep driving. You're so unaware that you got a flat tire. You just flip-flop, flip-flop, you keep going. Uh, if you've never fixed a flat tire and your cell phone's not working, you can't phone... CAA, that's a bit stressful. You don't know what to do with it. You don't know how to fix it. If you have an appointment and you're late for the appointment, that's stressful because you're not getting what you want. But if you have, if you fixed a flat tire before and you have a spare tire in your, in your boot and you know how to do it, you kind of get on with it. You have the skills, you get on with it, you do it get back in the car and keep going. So having a flat tire is not necessarily suffering. It is, it is a hassle, it's difficult, but it's not necessarily suffering. And where it becomes suffering, one of the ways that we look at human discontent in Buddhism is, is when I don't understand what's going on, and that we call ignorance. So when I don't really understand how to fix the flat tire, I don't, I'm not even aware of it, I'm just ruining my hubs or whatever you call them, driving along with a flat tire. Or or I, I don't accept the fact that there is a flat tire and I, I lament the nature of the universe and how it's conspiring to make me miss my appointment, or whatever it might be. So all of that we would call ignorance. Ignorance is the way things are. And ignorance is, is, is like this, both a... a a lack of understanding and a lack of skill. And, and that's one good way to, to think about cultivating the, the Buddhist way of, of freedom from suffering, the Buddhist way of peace, is both um, both of these are important, that we understand the way things are, and we have the skills to live well in a way which is peaceful and in accord with the way things are. Let's say, take, say something like loneliness. When does loneliness become um, suffering? Alone is not nice. It's different than being alone. Being alone is neither lonely nor not lonely. Loneliness has a 
a negative emotional tone to most of us. Huh? So when does loneliness become suffering? Because it's in a, in a way, it's the same as a flat tire. Uh, it's just a, an emotional state of mind. Well, it becomes it becomes suffering when, first of all, we ignore it, and maybe we just compensate by doing things to stay distracted from the loneliness, so we get busy or whatever. Or when we don't when we don't really understand it, we don't understand what loneliness is, and that we've never developed the skills to be at peace with loneliness and and to 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 move on in life. And that that kind of ignorance is something that infects a lot of the the inner movements that we experience as human beings. So like not understanding loneliness would be not seeing that well it's it's really it's not a permanent entity. You know, it's not something fixed in my psyche. I'm not this way all the time. It's it's a movement. It's a movement that comes and goes. And I've got the skills to seek out friendships, meditate, bear with it, uh, go running, whatever, whatever I want to do. But I've got the skills not to just get immersed in loneliness in a sort of permanent, semi-depressed way. So understanding and skill, very, 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 very important in the real way that we practice in Buddhism. And understanding isn't, isn't the same as having a, a kind of dogmatic position about whatever it might be. It's not a dogma. Understanding isn't knowledge for us. Understanding is really, really seeing the way things are. And what, what Buddhism stresses a lot is that when we feel a sense of lack, when life isn't in some way complete, when you know, there, there are things that are existing in life right now which we don't want, or there are things which are yearning for we don't have, that sense of, of of a lack that we experience as human beings is really a very, very important uh, part of our human experience to understand. Because if we don't understand that, that sense of lack, and we are simply, you know, driving the car with a flat tire, or we simply try to override the sense of lack through unskillful distractions or through uh, blame or whatever it is, then we cannot be free because that sense of lack is going to drive us. It's going to motivate us to do things for the good, for good or for bad. So we, we try to make conscious the sense of the sense of lack, the sense of not being fully with it or not being uh, fully present or in some way being bereft of happiness or being bereft of, of peace or joy in our lives. We try to make that conscious which is different than blaming, distracting, running away from. It's a very mature, you know, it's a very, very mature kind of thing to do, isn't it? And it's very similar to actually noticing, yeah, i got a flat tire. And I've got to look at this thing. I've got to wake up to it and see, okay, what can I do? So when there is a sense of lack, when something's missing, then there, there are various ways that we can operate in the world. On, on one hand, we can just do something to get what we lack. So if I'm hungry and I haven't eaten for half a day, then I, uh, I go about and go to a restaurant or go to the fridge or whatever and get some food and shocked. Okay, there. <laughs> I get some food and I feed myself. And that's one way we, we deal with lack. We get something. We do something. And, and that works sometimes. So if I feel lonely... Sometimes I, I can get what I'm lacking. Uh, I feel lonely, 
and I can phone a friend, and the friend reassures me, and I have a good old natter, and uh, they hear me out, and I feel I feel refreshed, and so on. So that we do that, we do that, we try to do that skillfully, but then sometimes uh, there is no out. There is no way out. There is no compensation. There is no distraction. There is no person that can actually uh, take us through that. And if we haven't ha- had the skill of dealing with that, and that's like having the flat tire and having learned how to fix it. So say if you take something like loneliness, loneliness is a natural condition, as is anger, as is fear, all these things. And the, the thing about something like loneliness or a sense of alienation with others, uh, shyness, a fearfulness of others, um, this condition can be, you, you, can, you can witness to it. You don't have to be lonely. You can witness to loneliness, can't you? And that, that's an important difference. I can feel like if I've had an argument with someone, like some my, my, uh, it's maybe partner or my children or my parents or whatever, when I have a, an intense argument with someone or even a non-intense argument, there's always a feeling of alienation. There's always a feeling of separation. That's, that's the way it works. Now... If I understand the feeling of an alienation, then I can be the witness to that feeling of alienation. I can notice it. I can see it as an objective thing. I can see it as a mood. If I have no skill around, if I have no understanding of that as being simply an object of mind, and I become the subject of that, then I'm, I'm, I'm forever suffering in ways which I can't get out because I've identified with them. I've, I've taken it on board as being some kind of permanent entity, being who I really am. But none of us are really lo- ever permanently lonely or permanently alienated. These things come and go. So wisdom in Buddhism would be both the active part, which is like, I can do things. I can, I can feed the body. I can have friendships. I can do good things. I can do that. So there's the active part, but also there's that contemplative or re- uh, reflective part, which can free you in ways which are not dependent on any externals, and that's important. So the way we you know, we think about the external part of our the, the objective part of our life, which we call it con- our conventional life, is that we try to live in ways which are altruistic and generous and moral, and we have a very very high sense of altruism in, in this path, a high sense of caring for other beings and caring for ourselves, a high sense of, of moral integrity. And that, that becomes a, a source of both confidence, self-respect, and also is a kind of vehicle that you travel in in the world, because the world is not always very altruistic, it's not always very moral, it's not always uh, reflective and so on. So the, the, this kind of being in a vehicle where you're protected and cared for by your own discipline, by your own sense of moral integrity, by your own sense of uh, moral responsibility to your family or your workplace, to your environment, to the air, to the water. That sense of, of like altruism. You know, that's, we, sometimes people think it's really naive to be altruistic. Well, maybe it's naive, but you can be very altruistic. You can, you can, we can really look at each other and say, how can my life be a benefit to you? How can I live my life in a, in a generous and compassionate way? And that, that is the source of great friendship, and it's the source of a kind of self-respect and well-being in the heart, which gives you a kind of strength where you can do the inner work as well. 
Because the inner work is, is, well, I don't know about you, but I've never found this easy. In my own mind, I've never I found it this easy difficult place sometimes. Not so much now, but the early years I was like, how am I ever going to get past this stuff? These fears and angers and prejudices and bias. How am I going to do this? Well, part of the doing was doing good works. You know, like living a good life. Uh, being responsible for my, with my fellow monastics and so on. So having done that, having tried to be a good friend and all that, Still, you get flat tires. All of us, I'm sure, you know, because we're on a spiritual path, we try to practice right speech. You know, we try not to argue or put people down, and yet we do. We end up arguing and putting people down in ways perhaps we are are uh, not happy about. And is that that's not that's not so bad. It's not wrong. It's human, isn't it? It's human. So what we can do is make our intentions wholesome. We can make our intentions altruistic, but also we have to be realistic to know that even though my intention is not to argue with my brothers, sometimes I will. Even though my intention is not to, to maybe put someone down, I will. And I won't like myself for that. It won't give me much joy. It won't give me much happiness. And that I can watch. I can say, oh, yeah, I feel unhappy now. I feel lonely or alienated. Why? Because of something I said or something I did. But sometimes alienation comes up because of just habit, like uh, just a habit of, of feeling different, just a habit of, of feeling out of place, or just a habit of, of whatever it might be. Now, a lot of those things you can't alleviate with any kind of external doing, external distraction. And the path of understanding is to begin to make conscious the very feelings of alienation that we have, the, the sense of lack that we have, and, and to know that that very witnessing itself is not lacking. Because when you begin to witness to the sense of lack, you find that which is not lacking. Because witnessing or knowing or awareness is a place in consciousness which is very peaceful because it knows. It knows loneliness. And there's this huge difference, isn't there, between knowing you feel lonely and having the wisdom to know it'll pass. It'll change. I know what to do. I have the skills. There's a huge difference between that and believing in loneliness and being caught in loneliness. I think if we all, if you just ponder your early years as, a, as an adolescent, say, I'm glad, you know, like, you know, in Buddhism we talk about not getting reborn. And adolescence is one of my big spurs of not, I just don't want to go through that again because it's so confusing. Who are you, your emotions and all of that? And, and, you know, if you think about the first time you became infatuated with someone, or maybe you're on the road and you felt homesick, and those kinds of things, they're very, very powerful feelings, right? And why are they so powerful? Partially because it's the first time maybe you've experienced them, but also because we didn't understand them. As, as an adolescent, I didn't understand my infatuations. Uh, I didn't understand homesickness. I remember being in uh, Cambodia and feeling really, really, really homesick, like... Just an awful, awful feeling. And I didn't have the perspective to know this would change. You know, this is a, the, I didn't have the perspective of, of, of witnessing to that. And that's ignorance. That's not understanding. It's not that I was stupid in some kind of IQ way. I still, you know, was intelligent enough. But I didn't understand my heart. I didn't understand the Dharma. I didn't understand the nature of my conditioning. And I didn't have the skill 
to begin to negotiate ways, think through thinking, through acting, through meditation, through generous whatever, I didn't have those skills to get out of it. So I could sink in it for long periods of time. I guess we've all had that, haven't we? You know, the times I just felt really drowning in my own uh, self-pity or annoyance at my brother for... <laughs> I had a very interesting experience with my brother. When I was taking care of my mom, I hadn't really lived with my brother. He's two years older. I hadn't lived with my brother for, for since I left Canada in 69. And then in 2006, I went to take care of mom. And there I had my brother, and I had the same emotions that I had in, in 1969. Not the same, but I knew, I knew what they were. They were little brother emotions focused on the big brother. And that was really interesting to see. I thought, wow, look at that. But now I had wisdom. Back then, when I was a, a youngster, a young guy, then I didn't have the wisdom to not react. So I'd get my little brother buttons pushed, and I'd react little brother against big brother, and a lot of suffering. And now I had the same emotions, but obviously they weren't as intense because I hadn't fed them. But now I could see this, this, this condition arising based on some kind of history, which was really 40 years in the past. Stunning. But now there's... there's so it's still a flat tire, Right? It's still flat tire, but now there's wisdom. Now there's understanding. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that arises because of that. Oh, yeah. I can witness to that. I can practice right speech. I can practice generosity. I can not badmouth him. I can take a hit as little brother. <laughs> I can be put down. It's all right. I can feel that. I can know that. Yeah. And then I found that by not feeding that, by understanding it, and practicing right speech practicing generous talk, uh, you know, meditating with it, trying to understand it, that that whole structure fell away. And that whole sense of self-identity of little brother with big brother, that fell away. And that's, and it ceased in the mind. And this is one of the ideas that we, we play a lot with in Buddhism, the idea of cessation or relinquishment or things ending. How do things like that end? How do conditions like that end, like conditions of fearfulness that we might have, or, or, or resentment, or self-disparagement, or all these different human things that we have? Well, they find their end when we no longer feed them, right? So say, say in that experience with my brother, and I hope this doesn't make it to him, <laughs> don't send it to him. In that experience with my brother, the little little boy in me wanted to blame him. And I probably vented with some people too. <laughs> the little boy in me wanted to blame him, but I said, do you really want to be a little boy? Do you really want to be an adolescent the rest of your life? You are 60 years older, <laughs> maybe it's time. And so I wouldn't believe that. I wouldn't believe that. And that's the fuel, isn't it, which we call ego or self-view, or attachment, or indulgence, or whatever. But by not feeding that, and seeing it as an object. So when I see, when I see a mood as an object, or rather be a subject, that is wisdom. That's what wisdom is about. And that's also what skill is about, because skill is then the way of thinking around that, rather than being driven by thoughts about that. So I, I see my my feelings there, and the thoughts are different now. They're not like, why, did, you know, why doesn't he respect me? Or 
That was a nice thing to say, or I'm not going to take this from him. That's 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 ego thought, isn't it? Where right thinking is, oh yeah, I feel, I feel upset. Upset feels this way. I feel resentful. Resentful feels this way. I feel silly. <laughs> silly feels this way. That's a different kind of a thinking because it's a thinking which engages the objective, reflective part of our mind rather than the subjective, egotistical, me and mine, poor me, I am suffering kind of mind. And that's wisdom. That we say wisdom, and it's skill. It is also a skill. It is that's how you fix, fix the flat tire. You get in there and you observe it, and you don't let the mind attach to it with all the ego thinking. And that's also not fueling, or not not putting any more energy into that patterning. And when no energy is put into that patterning, when no thinking is put into that, when one bears with the emotional residues from the past, and one witnesses and witnesses and witnesses and see as a change, then, slowly or quickly, depending on the intensity, this whole pattern of self, this whole pattern of ego, begins to cease in the mind. And that cessation is, is, is more peaceful than just getting away from the situation. You can, I can get away from a situation and have a sort of environmental peace. So I went canoeing yesterday on Pike Lake. That's a situational piece, and that can be very helpful. But the kind of piece we're talking about in cessation in Buddhism is the piece where there are no more buttons, where there are no more residues, where this whole sense of ego falls away. Not because I got rid of it, but because I didn't fuel it, because I didn't believe in it, because I didn't attach to it, I didn't, I didn't add to it. It does work, but it takes uh, courage and patience, and most of all, it takes wisdom. It's just this, this wisdom faculty that we can have, which um, knows a flat tire is a flat tire. It's not fun, but it's a flat tire, and I can do it. And I can fix it, and if I not, I'm going to learn how to fix it. When we, when we first begin, you know, again, this path, then quite often the flat tires come fast and furious. And we don't know how to fix them. We, we, you know, we feel confused or whatever. But if we have a kind of sincerity to see this sense of lack, I need to understand this. And I need to understand it in my own heart, not, not just get some kind of compensation. So without denying the, the very real possibility of, of things which alleviate the sense of lack, also there is a kind of interest, interest in what, where do I get stuck? Why do I get stuck there? Why does my mind keep rabbiting on about this person or this problem or this situation? Why can't my mind just be still and open and peaceful? And that kind of question is not a demand that it that you be peaceful, but it's that kind of uh, a sense of self-responsibility and then and the sense of awakening. Okay, that's the problem. I get I get upset with this person, right? This person presses my buttons. That's the problem. Now, how can I learn about myself in that? And that's maturity, isn't it? Uh, and it comes from wisdom. It doesn't come from, from self-hatred. I, I shouldn't get upset or say, like with, with my brother there, uh, fortunately, I didn't go into I should be different. I did go into he should be different. <laughs> that I did a lot. Uh, but I didn't believe wholeheartedly. But just that, 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 that whole thing that I should be different doesn't really change you. It just makes you feel more guilty. That's what I found. But awakening, saying, wow, this, this, them. Look at the reaction to that. He, he just said a word. Wow, look at that, very dumb. Huh? 
Where is that coming from? And I'm really looking at it, and you can see how anything which is a real huge flat tire in my psyche is also the place where I can really get a good tire. It's not like I, you know, I ignore my flat tire and get another one. It's like I have to be with that flat tire. That's the flat tire I have to understand. That's the one I have to fix. That's the one I have to use to get beyond the flat tire. So the, the, very, the very experience of the flat tire is the experience that takes you beyond flat tires, if I can push that analogy any further and not bore you. <laughs> so as these tendencies of, of greed, hatred, and delusion begin to cease more and more in the mind, and, and they do, don't they? You know, as we, as we mature as human beings, even if we're not on a Buddhist path, anyone who has somewhat reflective mind, you begin to, to notice, you begin to experience something which is not, not conditioned by, by emotions and so on. You begin to experience the silence of the mind. Because why? Because all that noise, all that self-thinking, all that obsession with me and mind and all that, that begins to just have no more fuel. There's no more fuel for it. It begins to just die in the mind. And you begin to sense, yeah, it's actually the world is very peaceful, very silent. And you, and, and you begin to appreciate that more and more. And your mind moves to that. It moves to that. And each time the aberrant emotions come up, you don't believe them. Because there's now... The wisdom or understanding is not just the understanding about the objective psychological states or physical states. It's also an understanding that behind all of that, there is a transcendent peace possible. There's a deep stillness possible. There's, there's, a, there's a radiant loving stillness behind all the movement and the noise. But when we begin, we're just so caught up with the movement and the noise and a sense of self, we don't see that perspective. So the teaching says, bear with it. Keep letting go, keep developing wholesomeness, keep developing goodness. Watch cessation. Watch how the sense of self ceases, ceases. It's not you who you really are. And that kind of uh, intentionality and, and, and diligence and vigor in the spiritual work begins to pay off in the sense that not only, not only do these fears and lonelinesses, they begin to cease, but what becomes apparent, what becomes obvious, is the silence of the mind. So the Buddhist path is very much a kind of letting go, letting go, letting go, and then revealing that kind of idea is very, very strong, revealing the inner silence which is there, which is very covered up by our habits, our think mostly our thinking. Our thinking takes up a lot, a lot of space. So by beginning to let go of that, we begin to see that the inner space that we have available to us actually all the time is very silent, very loving. That's hard to access when we're when we don't know how to fix flat tires, when we don't understand flat tires. We get caught up with them. So this will be called the which talk the flat tire talk? beyond all flat tires. Beyond all flat tires. <laughs> I shall leave that for your reflection. <laughs> Sad,